On the Healthy Human Revolution podcast, Dr. Lori Marbus interviews nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests whose informative and inspiring stories will empower you with the knowledge to transform your life and health. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and today I have a very special, not only incredible person, but I've got to know as a, a as a physician patient, and she was kind enough to share her incredible story. Miss Jamie Reno, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Dr. Oh, you call me Lori, please. <laughs> so um, the really cool thing is uh, about your story is that you've overcome so much, and I feel like that's where you're going to resonate with so many people. And I'm just really tickled to for people to hear your story. But can we just go back to when it began, right? So you you overcame weight loss and some other things and food addiction and all that. I just, you know, people want to pry into the minds of people who've been successful and what they're doing. But I really think it's important to understand the origin story and like kind of what led down that path, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I, you know, I, I was a, I like to say that I was a food addict from a, probably from birth. Um, I always struggled with weight and obesity, um, even as a, as an, as a young child, a toddler and beyond, um, I found, you know, food, I sought food for comfort all the time, so much so that even while I was nursing up through the, you know, my toddlerhood phase, um, my mother's pediatrician, you know, for me had her start wearing jumpers so that I could not get on to nurse. And it was that, so I was seeking food for comfort at a very, very young age. And that of course says a lot about, you know, the childhood dynamics, but it also says a lot about, you know, what I, I found, you know, as my, my, my place to go, right. Was food. So those behaviors that started as an infant and a toddler, they led me all the way through my childhood. Right. So I would eat um, for comfort. I would eat for happiness. I would eat for sadness. Food was my best friend in a lot of ways, even though I was very social and very gregarious and very outgoing, I still, food was my, my solace. And so I, you know, I, I wore obesity, um, you know, and I, I lived that, that, that journey. And, and as I grew up, my weight grew with me. And so I, I really just, um, food was so so much a part of my life and my family's life and the culture that I was part of, uh, and I am still part of, you know, growing up Italian food is, is a lot of, a lot of family celebrations and, and family connection. And it's also a place to, to pour yourself into, right. To pour yourself into the food that you, that you serve and that you give to others. And so, um, I grew up in a family of foodies and I became that. Um, and so, I was blessed with really the genes that predisposed me to obesity. Um, they are in my family on, on one side of my family. Um, but I was the only person in my family other than my mom who, who had this, um, you know, struggle with obesity and struggle with weight. Um, all the other family members at that time that I was growing up, everyone else was sort of a normal weight. So I stood out in so many ways. And when I, you know, when you stand out that way, especially as a child, people, you know, well-meaning adults or doctors will, will try to get you to change behavior. They'll point things out. And it just was 
always so sensitive. And whatever I would hear, whenever they would, no matter how lovingly they said it to me, it would just send me right back into the food. So, um, so much of what I learned as a child was just the, the, the way I would respond to the way food was marketed to me, the way food, you know, was used in family settings or in school functions or, you know, in, in the world in general. And, um, you know, it just became, um, even though, again, I was, I was outgoing and I had friends and I had a social life and I did well in school, food was still a driver in my life. And my obesity, you know, kept growing as I grew up. Um, and I was, you know, severely obese and morbidly obese by the time I was in my teens and well into my twenties and beyond. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how it kind of grew up with me. So you, you have a lot of points there. I feel like we could one hour conversations alone, right? <laughs> um, is the environment. I guess I'd like to really kind of hone in on that because, you know, infants and toddlers, they, they choose to eat because there's an internal hunger drive, right? They're intuitive to their hunger. So as you were growing up, were there a lot of processed foods and other things available in the home that were actually, you know, more of a factor versus, you know, no offense to your doctor, whoever that was, but <laughs> nursing infants is normal to hungry. I mean, that that's just babies. They eat poop and sleep. I mean, this is what they do. Right. And so um, almost, I, I'm, it makes me interesting is, but it's that solace and comfort of the mother being close to the infant. That's probably what you associate with the food. And that's normal, right? That's a, that's what you want to build that attachment. But as you grew out of that into, you know, older toddlerhood and to growing into school, what were the food dynamics or food choices in the home that you kind of alluded to a little bit later? They, yeah, good question. They were really, they were highly processed foods. I lived, I, I was born in, in the mid seventies. So for me, we were right on the cusp of when you had a lot of processed and packaged foods and that whole explosion of the processed food industry mm -hmm. where big tobacco had moved into big food. And I was a child in the late 60s, early 70s was when it started. Here I was in the mid 70s and early 80s where I was a kid and I was exposed to all the processed food commercials and cues and all of the um, packaged and processed, you know, everything was new and interesting and, and, you know, like the bright, shiny objects, right? So we would go to grocery stores and I remember I would see the commercial for a cereal and then I would go and ask my mom to buy that cereal. I would seek it in the grocery store. I would meet my, my cereal friends on Saturday mornings and I would sit there with my bowl and just keep eating the, the sugary cereal. I, you know, I was sort of in an environment in my home that was, you know, um, the dynamics were not great growing up, which of course mm -hmm. is I'm sure what sent me into that comfort seeking mm -hmm. as, a, as an infant and toddler. Um, but then as I grew up and the dynamics in the home calmed down, um, I was so, I was already hooked. I was already hooked on the sugars and already hooked on the processed foods. And, it, and I didn't, none of us understood what was happening in the, in the world um, with these foods and how toxic they were and how easily it, how easy it was to gain weight while eating them. So mm. um, I, yeah, I would seek them and I would, I would eagerly be marketed to, you know what I'm saying? I would just, mm. I would absorb it all. Mm. And my mom was going back to work at that time so it was just this whole perfect storm where she relied on the convenience foods. She was a single mom. We were, you know, 
growing up and kind of going out in the world and doing our own thing and coming home after school with freedom there. And then we were being marketed to and processed foods were being pushed on us and, and pushed on us in a way that is, you know, Hey, this is new. This is no one's ever had this before. You can make instant, whatever, and anything you want out of a box and anything you want out of a bag. And, you know, all of these new processed foods were, were like a whole new world. Mm. So I, you know, um, yeah, my environment internally was primed and my environment Mm. externally was just, it was, it was available everywhere. I like how you said that your environment, your environment internally was primed. And then it's easy when the external environment is feeding into what you're already susceptible to, mm-hmm. but kind of getting to, I, you know, one thing that I've really um, taken an interest to, I listened to a book called the body Keeps score <clears throat> and it's Love about that. child. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's about childhood adverse events and PTSD and other negative um things that occur in, you know, early childhood, but also into adulthood that really impact people in a subconscious level where we're making decisions and our bodies responding before we even can think about what's going on, right? It's that that going to the the refrigerator or in eating something when you see a stressful email or, you know, you're bored and you go and eat something. It's all these different things that set us up for these habits, but we're in the environment, right? If, if all we had was healthy foods in our environment, I'd be out of a job and <laughs> right, yeah. you know, yeah. but it just kind of speaks to the human condition of all the stressors and everything that we put ourselves under. And then we set ourselves up when this, like you said, toxic food environment and food addiction is so under discussed and not oh. even recognized as an entity, because I feel there's a lot of powers to be that would say, we can't say that because that would put people's, you know, pockets in danger, big corporations. Mm -hmm. And so there's always this nudge against us, but there's, you know, the internal nudge, people are tired of feeling sick and tired of not feeling well, but those adverse child events, it actually prompted me in our, um, excuse me, new patient uh, intake form, to, mm-hmm. there's an ACE score sheet. And so it really gives me a lot of insight because I was seeing patients who mm-hmm. would have a success to a degree and then something would happen and they'd fall right back into it. Yes. And I couldn't figure it out. And so then as I was listening to this book, I was like, oh my goodness, it makes so much more sense. Yes. We need to be better attuned as to what this person is grew up in and what's going on inside the mind is part of the behavior change. It's not just the environment now. It's like, it's not me just telling you implement these habits or set yourself up for success. There's a thinking process that's occurring, a a change in the conversation internally that has to occur. So I feel like that's kind of where you are, but I'd like to know to what severity did the obesity and other health issues occur for you? Like, can you walk us through the painful aspect of that? So then we can really celebrate how well you've done. I mean, it's just incredible. Oh, sure. Um, so I will say one thing about body keeps the score I, and, and that the autumn, that autonomic response that we have, mm-hmm. I noticed year, oh gosh, it must've been 2000, maybe 2007 or eight. I, I was not in recovery from food addiction yet, but I was starting to, of course, see the behaviors, right? And I knew that there was a problem. I didn't know how deep it was. I had a really stressful phone call. Um, I hung up the phone with, with the person I was talking to. I immediately turned around and walked right to the pantry and opened the door. And I, that was the first time in my entire life that I was like, oh, 
oh, oh, there's a relation here. I'm not even hung. I'm not even hungry. By the way, I didn't really even know what hunger was at the time, but I knew I wasn't, my stomach wasn't growling and I knew that I, I had just eaten a meal an hour earlier. Right. And so uh, that's when I realized, and yeah, it's so, it's so fascinating. Um, I had gotten to the point, I lost my mom suddenly in 2004. Uh, unfortunately, as a result, her death was a byproduct of her processed food addiction. Um, she died of acute pancreatitis related to a secondary infection from bronchitis and her immune system was so compromised um, that, you know, the secondary infection was able to take hold and kind of travel. And um, her, she was sick all the time with different things. She was a teacher and caught lots of things. So my, my addiction and my obesity just ramped up in a huge way. I, I had, I had um, falsely managed my weight um, around 200 pounds for a few years, but I was using diet pills. And I, once I got off the diet pills, I sort of white knuckled it for a while. And then once I lost my mom, I, I gained over the next four or five years, I gained probably 200 pounds and it took, it took work, right? It was, it was, I was actively eating to, to, um, to squelch the grief, squelch the, the, the emotion. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, I think now that I look back on that period of time, I could not find scales to weigh myself. You know, I was, I was over the limit of, of all, of any scale, doctor's offices included. Um, I would walk outside and, and, you know, at a gas station or, or a supermarket or something out in the public and I would get ridiculed by strangers. They just would, you know, say things to me, unsolicited, you know, cruel observations about the way I looked or the way I was walking or the way I was, you know, what I was buying. Of course, if there was food in my hand or in my, in my grocery cart, there was a comment from strangers. Um, I flew a lot for work and that was just, as you can imagine, extremely uncomfortable mm -hmm. in every way, physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, I would, I lost jobs because of my size and my ability to perform on the job. Uh, my food addiction was, you know, in, a, in an extremely severe place. So I, I thought that I had some learning disabilities going on as an adult, right? I thought I had some adult learning disabilities. I, I had always done well in school, but as I, as my addiction progressed and I was eating more of these processed foods and using them to sort of really, you know, harm myself by this point, I was starting to see all of those effects intellectually, emotionally. I was very dysregulated. Um, physically, of course, I could not speak in front of a group of people to present anything without getting totally winded. Um, walking, you know, anything was a chore. Uh, I was pre-diabetic. I was told I was pre-diabetic. That was about 2007. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand back then that that was really just non-insulin dependent diabetes. And then I was going to very quickly be insulin dependent. I didn't understand that. I wasn't told that. But there was never a discussion with the doctor at that point about food at all um, or weight or anything. It was simply just your, you know, here's your, here's your blood sugar. You're pre-diabetic. You need to consider weight loss in general, but there was nothing, nothing specific. Um, and then I had a scare with my heart, um, where I was starting to have panic attacks and all kinds of other mental, you know, mental illness related issues around panic disorder, anxiety, depression, which makes sense what we know now about processed food addiction and the effects of these foods, right? It can trigger all these anxiety and depression responses. And so when I, um, when I had one of these panic attacks, 
they monitored me in the hospital, thought they saw something in my, in one of my, you know, when they were monitoring my heart and they said, oh, you've got a, is it ejection fraction? Mm-hmm. Ejection fraction in heart. Failure. They said that there's something going on there. Your, your percentage isn't right. We're going to do a cardiac cath. And I thought, you know, okay. I was here. I was 400 plus pounds. They, they came in, they were very concerned. They did the catheterization and, and they said, no, your, your heart's fine. And I thought, okay, I've taken, you know, a few years of diet pills. I'm 400 plus pounds. Like that was, that was it. That was just like, okay, this is a huge wake up call. I, I had just earlier that year been in for sleep apnea testing. I mean, I was, and I was young. I was in my early to mid thirties. And I woke up one day right after that cardiac situation. And I, I thought I'm not going to make it to 40. Like if I don't do something, I'm not going to live till 40. And of course there's bigger existential questions, right? Do I want to live till 40, right? You know what I mean? Like what, what's going on in my world that I'm doing this to myself, but, but, but I, I realized, I know, of course I did. Right. I do, you know, I, I do love, love life. And I do, I, I believe that there was more for me to do. And so, um, I considered surgery and for me, the, the bariatric surgery route was absolutely not an option because once I understood the alter the way they alter our physiology, I thought, no, that just doesn't, that seems so wrong. And I, it, it didn't make sense because it felt like you were changing your physiology to, to, but not changing any of the mental or psychological processes. And that didn't seem like it was sustainable. And, um, you know, from what I understand now, you know, I was on the right track to, to, to avoid it, but, um, I was desperate. I was desperate. Uh, I knew I couldn't go back and take diet pills. I had gotten, you know, the get out of jail free card from the, from the cardiologist. And I thought I'm not going down that path. I have to do this and I have to learn how to do it. And I have to do it the all, you know, the all natural way, the, the, you know, the non-quick fix, the non-shortcut way. And so I began going to therapy and that made me want to learn how to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And um, I began going to a dietitian um, who gave me so many tools that I desperately needed at the time. she was a, a wonderful resource for many years for me in so many ways, um, as was as was my counselor, just amazing. But until I took the processed foods completely out, I did not see true mental, emotional, and physical healing until they were until they were out. Wow. Um, yeah. What were the t- some of the tools that um, they worked with you outside of, you know, of course, removing the processed foods? Was there anything that stood out that you was down that was ex- very, very helpful? Yeah, I would say, you know, my dietitian talking about, you know, when I walked into her office in 2009, I, <laughs> I was, I had no idea what a normal portion looked like. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what hunger felt like. I had no idea what satiety felt like. Mm-hmm. I knew what stuffed and numb and almost food comatose felt like, really. I didn't, I mean, I was using food in ways that, um, you know, not every meal, not every meal, but, but there were, there were meals when I I would just end the sort of food coma and it, and it was almost, you know, it was almost welcomed. Mm -hmm. And there were other meals where I would, you know, act like I was a normal eater and I would eat just like everyone else. And then of course, go home and eat the way I, I wanted to eat. Um, And so some of the tools they gave me were around not only portion sizes and 
ordering help, but also cognitive behavioral therapy. And, you know, they, my counselor helped me understand that my brain, because of childhood events, my brain had developed differently. Mm-hmm. And I wish, you know, I was reflecting on it this week. I wish that she had said right after that statement, <laughs> I wish that she had said, and we can rewire it mm-hmm. because now, you know, we know we can right back in 2009. I heard that. And I thought, well, <laughs> I'm broken. You know what I mean? I've got this weird brain and no one else has in this body. And, Mm. you know, and she didn't, of course she had, she thought it through. I'm sure she never would have said it that way, or she would have added to it, but it was really actually a big pivot pivot point for me to say, okay, there is something wrong. Like I, I wasn't, my brain didn't develop the way that other kids brains without my experiences developed. And, and it does predispose me to this addiction. She also didn't explain that part of it because mm-hmm. we don't, she wasn't looking at food as an addiction. Here she was looking at a patient or a client, 400 plus pounds, you know, but, but because we don't talk about food as an addiction, processed food as an addiction, she wasn't treating me as an addict in recovery. And I think that that was a missing piece for, for her and me. Um, and I also didn't, until my dietitian started to, to help me see the link between my food behaviors and my emotions, to, did I start to realize that I was an addict, it, you know, as much as an alcoholic or a drug addict in, in the way I would behave around food, the way I would isolate, the, you know, when it came to food, the way I would, um, was in denial about my food behaviors or um, the cravings I had. It was really just so interesting. Um, and again, she's, the ADA paradigm, right? She's part of the ADA mm-hmm. world. So she was trying to help me moderate processed foods the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Yeah, they were saying moderation and everything. And I, like you and I would agree that moderation kills, right? Because you Absolutely. never get you well. So I want to go back to that um, realization of the food addiction, right? Because you're early in the mid 2000s, like, and even now the word food addiction is still batted around and people don't really hone in and understand the severity of what we're dealing with here. I'm seeing it on a day-to-day basis. You dealt with it day-to-day in your own life. What was the mindset? Because I feel like some people are just like, I'm just a food addict, it's the way it is. I give up. Others like yourself take it and own it. How did you process that? Did it become part of your identity? Did it, what, what was that clicking going on in the brain that allowed you to have a different outcome? You know, I, I grew up in a family, um, with alcoholism and, Mm. um, right. You know, so much of what we know now as children growing up in, in those environments, I could have easily, easily been an alcoholic. Um, I just liked brownies way more. And so when I look at the behaviors of alcoholics, the behaviors and the, and the mindsets of, you know, in alcoholism, I have all of those. I just, my, my drug is food. And so, or, or, you know, the food ingredients. So when, um, when I first heard that there was such a thing, I first heard about it from Dr. Joanna Fland and some of her research and processed food addiction recovery, um, as well as Chef AJ. And this was back in 2017. And I remember they talked about withdrawal and how you would get, you know, maybe enraged if you were in food withdrawal. And I, I looked up, I, I was, 
I was sitting in, in my slimmer body. I was, I had maintained my weight loss for five, six, seven years. By that point, I'd lost 200 pounds. I was feeling good. And I thought, oh wait, I used to rage all the time in between meals. Like I used to be so emotionally un, you know, unhinged about silly things, you know, nothing, nothing major, but silly life things would come my way and I couldn't handle them. And I, I put, put my head up and I go, that sounds like an addict who's in withdrawal from their drug. And of course that was the whole premise, right? And I thought, oh my gosh, like it's not hypoglycemia. Like, oh, this is hypoglycemia. It runs in our family and oh, don't, don't get her hangry. No, <laughs> this is an addict in withdrawal from their drug. And then I, and then I just threw myself into the research through my, and of course my frontal lobe was coming back online because I was removing more and more processed foods by that point. I understood what they were doing to my mood. And then of course, once I, I pulled more and more out against my dietitian's wishes, by the way, she said, you're being too strict. You're being too black and white. You're being too, you know, um, too, too much. You're doing too much. You don't have to do all that. And I said, no, I can't moderate these. I can't just have one. And when I do, I'm consumed with thoughts of them. Yes. And yes. so um, I went against her wishes and I, I wished her well and I, I love her dearly, but she is not traveling the road with me anymore. Mm. And so I, I knew that um, recovery meant abstinence mm -hmm. and I grieved it. I grieved and I was angry when I heard that word. I was angry. Mm. I thought, I'm not an addict. I'm not, I'm not an addict like this member of my family. I'm not that way. That's not me. And I was angry and resentful and scared. And then I thought, okay, well, there's science here. Like, well, let me understand the, the why, right? I'm all about the why, what's the why? And when I began to understand the science and I could see myself in all of the research and then Joan Ifflin started to, to interview me as part of her research, I thought, and I, you know, the, I thought, gosh, you know, this is me, this is my story and I, I have the opportunity, of, as many of my peers do, to help people remove the shame. Like this is this is not this is not our fault. This is given. This is readily given to us by the processed food industry. Readily given to us by by you know uh, setting us up internally with our adverse childhood events that put us in a place to be addicts on in some in some capacity potentially. And then you go into a hot, you know, heavily processed food rich environment and, and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in media. It's in, it's in, it's everywhere. The minute we leave our homes, if it's not already everywhere in our homes. Oh my goodness. There's so much. You're amazing. <laughs> so this is why guys, I wanted you to listen to Jamie's story because it's just a delight to listen to you. you're so well spoken you speak everything from the heart and transparency i just oh i love it um amazing can we go back to um the doctor's name that you mentioned because i feel like people are going to be tuning into like who's yeah. that what's that can you give us a little bit of information about that so dr joan ifland is um she how do you spell that wrote, joan oh, if the last i i f as in frank l a n d mm -hmm. And her first name is Joan. And um, she literally wrote the book on processed food addiction. She wrote the textbook on processed food addiction. 
Um, she's a PhD, you know, Stanford undergrad PhD, who is not, not only on her own recovery journey from processed food addiction, but was able to, to develop not only an assessment that, you know, is, is similar to other processed food addiction assess, assessments we've seen and other addiction assessments we've seen, but um, it helps you understand the severity, right, of, of processed food addiction. And she, she is absolutely committed to helping um, people understand the, that addiction is, you know, to processed foods is absolutely real. It is insidious and it is, in, based on her research, it is in many, many ways more serious than drug and alcohol addiction because it is multiple substances. And there are multiple pathways in our brains that are activated when we eat these foods because we've got sugar, fat, salt, and other additives that are triggering these pathways. And cocaine only triggers one pathway. Alcohol only triggers one pathway. Heroin, one pathway. With processed foods, there's multiple. So if you're dopamine deficient and you've got processed foods in your system, you're triggering, you're lighting up three, four pathways. And every time our stress, every time we encounter stress and our stress pathways ignite, that addiction is that addiction is primed and ready. Well, and, and outside of alcohol and drugs, those aren't readily available or acceptable, right. but processed food is, right? And we give it to our kids. That's right. And <laughs> like I said, it's everywhere in our home. It's everywhere mm -hmm. in our media. It's everywhere mm -hmm. in, in society. And it's, 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 in, it's encouraged mm -hmm. everywhere in society because we are all addicts living among other addicts. Right. And we don't want to admit no, <laughs> what's no. going on. You know, it's, it goes from the Girl Scout cookies to, you know, Super Bowl commercials right. for Doritos to, you know, whatever. And it is literally accepted. And then when patients or people start making different decisions, we're looked out and outcasted because we're like, oh, the healthy one, why can't I have this and do that too? And then we're dealing, like you said, with these addicts and they're arguing with you about what their behavior is okay because it's accepted yeah. in society. Yeah. yeah. So encouraged. Exactly. So tell us what was your highest weight that you're aware of and how much weight you've lost. And now what do you do on a day-to-day -to, -day to maintenance and what you eat? Because those are the other questions I'm sure <laughs> I'm going to get. <laughs> so share your wisdom, please. Um, like, uh, like I said earlier, I could not find scales at my highest to, to weigh me. Uh, not, not like I was looking for them, right? I was right. <laughs> eager right. to see the number. I, I cruised well past a couple of sizes past my 400 pound mark, right? Where the scales were weighing me. So I, I probably was in the, you know, the, the four to 430 range. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I don't weigh myself today. Uh, I have clothing that I use as sort of barometers to make sure that I'm, that I'm holding where I need to hold steady. Last time I weighed myself, um, I was, you know, oh gosh, 250 pounds below where I, where I started. And so, um, I, I lost 200 of it, um, between 2009 and 2013. And then I went into this sort of white knuckle dry drunk phase of food addiction, 2013 to 17. And then mm -hmm. in 17, I started to pull out the processed foods. And then in 2019 went plant-based and never looked back. Um, mm -hmm found, found my equilibrium in every way. Um, my frontal lobe was back online. I was able to critically think again on, on a regular basis. 
And um, I just felt out of my, out of congruency with my values to eat animal products. And once I learned the science behind, especially what dairy can do to us and, and the byproducts of, of animal, you know, meats, I just thought, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's an easy decision. So I went whole food plant-based and um, then my, my, you know, I feel amazing. I eat um, really, I don't know, weigh and measure anything anymore. That uh, unfortunately was a trigger for me. And that's what I love about this way of eating. I don't have to weigh and measure. I have to look at not only the order of the foods I eat, but, but the way that I make up my plate. And that's all I need to know. Um, so I'll eat, you know, lots of big bowls of greens and beans, uh, and quinoa for breakfast with a big smoothie and lunch is a big salad with sweet potato and some other raw veggies, you know, raw other than my sweet potato. And then, um, my dinners will be cooked vegetables, um, some squashes. Uh, I'm getting into some of these, you know, carefully getting into making some of these, you know, potato based cheese sauces and other things, just trying to spice up my foods. And that's a, that's a, a, a sometimes food. That's not an always food, but I'm enjoying, you know, figuring out how to make some of those whole plant-based versions of those foods. Not, not really for me, but, but my husband is a big fan of Tex-Mex and all of those. We live in Texas. So trying to translate healthier versions of Tex-Mex foods, he is, um, he's grateful for that, <laughs> for mm. me trying those things. And I eat, I eat fruit and I enjoy it. Um, and you know, my, my drink is water or maybe some herbal tea if I'm really feeling like it, but that's, that's it. And I, um, it's, it takes discipline and effort, um, to prepare. So I, every week I'm preparing, um, you know, my, my ingredients for the week, um, cooking and cutting up different starches and vegetables, um, and getting those ready for me to, to kind of use throughout the week. It's about a three hour process and it's, it's frankly, it's worth every minute um, because then throughout the week, it's very quick for me to do what I have to do with food. Um, and every day I wake up in the morning and I do some form of movement. Sometimes it's intense. Sometimes it's, it's more of a recovery kind of kind of day, but it's, it's spinning on the Peloton. It's walking on, on the treadmill or outside. It's you know some yoga stretching, it's you know foam rolling. Um, I have a journaling practice and I have a meditation practice and I've been doing a lot of coherent breathing work lately, which has been super fun. Um, and I'm just really enjoying keeping my frontal lobe back online. Um, and I'm enjoying you know, all the, the anxiety, the depression, the, the moodiness, the irritability, the, 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 the raging, gone, gone. Um, I, I work with a counselor, uh, here and there, if there's some things I need to figure out in life. Um, but there's so much when the food is gone, there's so much clarity, peace, and serenity that comes from living this way that I see clearly answers, like they say in the AA world, like, you know, you see clearly what, what answers you need to, to get without really knowing, you know, why you know them, you just know them. Mm. So, um, I, I, I experienced that. And, um, I also make sure that I guard my, my media environment and my social media world. Um, I don't really have too much of a media presence and I don't like to consume you know, mainstream media much at all. I fiercely guard and protect my stress pathways as much as I can, because I know that no matter how good my food is, if they get ignited, 
over time with a lot of cues and a lot of, you know, sort of beating on my stress pathways, I might not go face first into a box of donuts anymore, but I don't need the, the food monkey on my back. Um, so I think if, if I, in addition to food prep and movement, I would say, you know, the way I guard my environment is the other big, big indicator of my success. Mm, I think that's fabulous, right? You're, you're speaking to all the elements that someone would need <laughs> to live a life, right? You're, you're, when you fed your body well, so you're getting the output of what's your input, which is amazing. You're moving your body, which allows you probably to rest and sleep and do better there. And then finally, you're exactly right, right? You're, you are taking control of what you allow the input into our brains versus just, you know, bouncing to wherever, you know, someone throws you here, someone throws you there. And social mm -hmm. media is a big one. And honestly, I would be tickled if I didn't have to do any social media, but that is not the life that I've chosen, unfortunately. <laughs> Presence on an online, you know, family doing that telehealth stuff. But, but I also think it's important that people hear other stories like yourselves, because there's so many nuggets here that you gave today that I think, geez, I, I just, I can't imagine someone not walking away from this, having more knowledge and more wisdom than they had before. I mean, like I said, you're just so well-spoken in how you share your story and then delineate that to here's what works, right? This is what you do. And I think that's fabulous, man. If I'd had this conversation when I first started plant-based cell, you know, well, even six years ago when I started the podcast, it would have been like, whoa, there's so many things here. I need to go. Right. Cause I really think, I can think I'm getting, I'm not, I really think so many physicians that they had the intuition that you have learned through your own experience and able to speak the words that you just did to their patients, we'd be living in a very different world right now. Yeah. And a lot of this, I credit with Dr. Iflin's research, my own, you know, experience really seeing myself in the research. And again, this wasn't necessarily, she, she did, did a lot of, does a lot of research, but she, she cultivated and curated it and pulled it together and told the story of processed food addiction and the way it shows up in the brain and body. And um, what I love is I'm part of a community um, called the Addiction Reset Community that focuses all on food addiction. And you know, so much of what we know now about addiction recovery is in community, right? And a huge, huge reason for my success is also, in addition to everything I just said, is the time I spend in community. And the community I'm part of is all virtual. It's incredible. It's filled with processed food addicts of all different varieties from all over the world. And we support each other in recovering from the addiction, not only in the, in the brain, not only in the body, but in, in relationships, in finances. I mean, processed food addiction affects every aspect. It affected every aspect of my life. I lost jobs. I had you know, financial issues. I, of course, had relationship issues. I went through a divorce. I mean, I, what it was textbook addiction, you know, in action mm -hmm. and, um, to recover from that and have these areas of my, of my wheel, my life wheel, right. That are, that are coming back online and having over the last few years, having, you know, vibrant, full life in all of these different areas and wanting more, right. Wanting to have more improvement and more, realization and more recovery and helping others see what's possible is what gets me excited about talking mm -hmm. to you 
and I want to say one other thing, you know, years ago when I was given that the diagnosis of, hey, you know, you're pre-diabetes and something's wrong with your heart and sleep apnea and all these, you know, blood pressure and all these things. Uh, I was so, you know, just so sick and had so many of these markers for, for um, chronic disease. And then meeting you, right, working with you, we go through all of our testing and we do all of our all of our work together and you sit there and, and you tell me like I, i'll never forget you said to me you're gonna live forever like look at your numbers <laughs> look at your results and look at your you know you're, you're you're so insulin sensitive you're so you know i just i couldn't believe what i was hearing and <laughs> after what i've put myself through and been a, you know sort of a victim of in the world with the food addiction to hear you say what you said and to know that um i've given myself health and a life back is just such a gift and I'm so grateful to you. No, oh, I I just I'm just the deliverer of the message that you cultivated. <laughs> that, that was simple. Like you did all the hard work. I just get to deliver you saying from the standpoint of a physician looking at this going, holy mackerel, this is incredible. And I will tell you right now, Jamie, you were by far one of my favorite interviews ever. Oh, thank and you. And so I can't even tell you. And I hope they people please share this because this is it goes beyond even the food addiction but just how someone is present in their mind to say you know i don't have to keep making these decisions and having these outcomes in my life right you have the ability to chart a new way a new journey and end up in a new place and yeah. you're a perfect beautiful example inside and out of this exactly what we all need to be doing in our lives and I just, I just love every minute detail of it. It's amazing. So I'm just so, ah, so excited that people can listen to this and have this available to share with others because the fun part about this is that your story will be shared and you'll never know all the amazing ripple effects that you're having on others. And goodness gracious, I hope, um, please everyone, please, please plate these words. I just can't even tell you after decades and decades of a physician, it, I'm telling you, these these are the people that can really make a difference. And um, please share her story. So I'm just so thank you for <laughs> coming on board and letting me, you know, ask you these questions and being so thoughtful and and sharing them because I I just um, it's people like you that are open and being vulnerable and sharing that yeah, I struggled and this is where I was and this is where I'm at now. And you can come too. you know, come join us in this yes. crazy green pasture of plants and it's amazing. Know, <laughs> right. You know, there's so much more than the food though, that you did, you removed the inflammatory side of things, which allowed you, like you said, your frontal lobe to come on online and really understand what's going on. But you were listening to yourself and you had to re-speak and change the 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 talk that was going you had to change your software and that was amazing yeah neuroplasticity is is amazing and the one thing i want to say i just want to close a, a loop on something when i walked into my dietitian's office in 0809 i started working with her i didn't know what hunger felt like i didn't know what true physiological hunger felt like because i was afraid to let myself feel it mm. and i was afraid it would consume me and so just this latest phase of my recovery in the last year, have I started to really understand and let myself get hungry. And you and I have talked about that, right? Yep. Like how I've had to like, let myself feel hunger 
And the beautiful thing is, and I do love Dr. Furman talking about, you know, hunger is the best sauce. And as, you know, as a recovering addict, that's dicey, right? Because we, we our pendulums can swing in extremes. Mm-hmm. But um, once I, once I knew that I was grounded in my recovery and I was really good at listening to my body's cues on satiety, I thought, let's take this hunger thing for a spin. And now I do. And it's just, just exquisite. Like when our bodies are just, they tell us everything we need to know. And mm-hmm. it is so cool to let myself get hungry over, you know, a couple hours it takes, you know, from the time the blood sugar starts to drop until I actually feel the physical hunger. And it's like a fun little journey. And I remind myself, my food is going to taste so good when I eat and, you know, and I'll, I'll know when I'm ready. And it's just, that's been the, the latest part of my recovery that is closed that another loop right in my life where, um, I trust my body to tell me what it needs and what it doesn't need now. And for after years of not even wanting anything to do with my body, that is just also such a gift. No. Wow. So, <laughs> so much more we could talk about. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I, no, no, I think it's beautiful. You're describing what I really honing in on, you know, I, there's so much (laughs) Um, when it comes to like behavior economics and building your environment to make better decisions, but it all comes back to trust in yourself, intuitive um, feeding. You know, some people say, oh, there's no bad foods. There's no good foods. You just listen to your body and eat when you're hungry. But the thing is, yes, first of all, there are bad foods. We wouldn't have the chronic disease we have. Number two, People don't understand what you were, you've been in this cycle of recovery for so many years, and you're just now saying that you truly appreciate and can understand true hunger when it was removed from you on, you know, not, not, I'm sure not intentionally um, mm-hmm. in the sense of your parents feeding you processed foods, but they, they took away the, that intuitive in we're hardwired to know oh. when we're hungry, right? And as small children that is removed from us and unless you grew up in an environment well for me for example I also grew up in a very dysfunctional home when you look at my a score it's like six it's ridiculous and yeah you know and I I'm I haven't been in contact with my immediate you know my parents or my sister for six plus years and there's a reason for that and But we lived in such a poor home, (laughs) meaning no dollars that, you know, even like square toilet paper were rash. Like they were literally yelling at kids like you're using too much. I mean, it got to that degree that my parents were like, we grow our food and we buy what's ever cheap, which was in the produce aisle. It was the beans, dried beans. Mm -hmm. And so honestly, that was my only saving grace because for me, my addiction Cause I knew that my only way out of the life I was living was school. And I became almost an addict to perfection in my grades. Like it was stressful to me to get anything less than an A and um, to the point that, I mean, it just, it became very unhealthy and sense. yeah, completely. But that was, that was my, I didn't have access to the processed food. So yeah. I'm pretty sure. And, you know, they didn't have alcohol in the home or there probably would have been, plus I had friends who drank and destroyed their lives, but you know, there's, we all have it. It could be food. It's going to be spending. It's going to be, you know, overworking. It's going to be 
Exactly. So, you know, there's so many things that we set up ourselves to not be in a healthy space. But the nice thing about what you've done is that you've removed the elements that made you ill, but now you also understand you're also still at risk, right? You, oh, sure. like you said, you're putting yourself in this safe place and you guard it because you know your health depends on being chronic, constantly proactive in your health. Right? There's so many beautiful processings that you're doing in your life. <laughs> so I was like, I wish, you know, we should just write a book, Jamie. I was going to write Jamie <laughs> Reno's book on how to get your butt in gear and get healthy. Um, I've, been, was, I've been asked, I've been told yeah. that more than once. Well, I think you would do wonders because if it's uh, anything like you can speak, I can only imagine it would be a bestseller right out the gate. And um, definitely, I know you had mentioned Dr. Ifland and I've looked at her stuff and it looks really fascinating because she's been doing this. She's older, right? She's like in her seventies, mm -hmm. I'm guessing at this yeah, point. Seventies, yeah. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so she's definitely, and she was probably the voice of people with like, you're crazy, food addiction, like. Wow. I mean, she must have definitely fought the tide, kind yes. of like the Esselstyns of the food yes. plant-based world, right? She still is. She still is. And I, and I love that Chef AJ sees her value and has her on and interviews her and uses her parts, parts of her summit and other things, Yeah. Um, and as, as does Robert Lustig on the other side of the world. And so, um, you know, they, they, they get, she gets a lot of attention from the low carb and the plant-based world. But she also, um, she's cultivated this amazing community of recovering food addicts that is so, we're so, we're fiercely protective and supportive of each other. And mm. we're fiercely inclusive of each other. Mm. And it has made all the difference on the community side, because I can do what I can do in my environment and my food and all the mindset and psychology. But man, if I don't have that community of people that I feel like I can show up as my authentic self and they love and support me. Yeah. no matter what with your warts and all those right. are those are jewels to be held close and dear because yeah. that type of community that's where i feel like the plant-based community is is also it's a very special place because people are here and people who do the work we do have a, a different philosophy of life and mission and it's here for true healing and connection and so Amen. yes absolutely what a wonderful place that she's created and allowed others to connect and build even more community um, outside of even that world, I'm sure. Yeah, and I am happy to share my story. I'm happy to talk to patients or other practitioners. I'm in the healthcare world. Mm -hmm. I work for a big healthcare network out in Jersey and I've shared my story in Grand Rounds and talked to practitioners and physicians uh, all across you know, my organization. But in cool. general, I just, I'm, I'm happy to share whatever you think is helpful for people because I just- awesome passionate about it. Thanks for watching and I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go though, please hit the subscribe button and the alert button so you will be notified whenever we upload any new videos. On Monday, we upload the Healthy Human Revolution podcast. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find it on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. Now, if you're looking for more resources on how to start a plant-based diet, sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, anything regarding wellness, we've got you covered. Check out HealthyHumanRevolution.com. And again, thanks for watching.